In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the 29th of the Coptic month, and uh, every 29th of the month is a commemoration uh, of the Annunciation, uh, and the Nativity, and the Resurrection. Um, today we read the readings of the Annunciation, and we pray in a joyful tune, remembering the Annunciation um, that Archangel Gabriel came to St. Mary, and after he spoke to her and said that she would become the mother of God and that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, she said in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, she said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And so when we look at this initial scene of this joyful scene, and we're praying in a joyful tune of the Annunciation coming to St. Mary, she receives amazing news. She <coughs> She re receives news that she's going to become the mother of God, and this would make anyone joyful. But when we look at the course of her life, the directions that things go from this point on, we see that she suffered a lot. She had a lot of suffering. Actually, her son was crucified. She herself suffered in many ways. And the life was not necessarily the life that we would choose for ourselves. If we were to say, you know, choose a life for yourself, would you really want to choose the life of St. Mary? The life of St. Mary was full of a lot of suffering. Uh, actually, it was prophesied about her. Um, St. Simeon the Elder, who was in the temple, what did he say about St. Mary in Luke 2.35? He said, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He's, he's, he's saying this about her, that the sword is going to pierce through your own soul. This is the pain that she is going to experience because of this. Even when we pray uh, in the Egbeya in the ninth hour, we speak about how St. Mary was, was in sorrow while the rest of the world was receiving salvation. So this is a very difficult thing to accept. And we, we speak about the Annunciation and it's joyful for us because for us we receive salvation. But for St. Mary, she is sacrificing her own son for the sake of the salvation uh, of the world. And yet despite this, we see that St. Mary did have joy. Right? When she was speaking with her cousin, St. Elizabeth, and she said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Okay? So St. Mary's realization of the importance of this event, and the salvation that she is receiving, and the salvation that the whole world is receiving, is even a greater joy than the momentary suffering she experiences. So if St. Mary understands this, St. Mary is the one who was closest to Christ, who was her own son, and yet she herself was rejoicing because she received salvation, then how much more should we rejoice because, of we, because we have received salvation? But sometimes we forget this gift. We forget that God has done this for us. And we focus very much on our own sorrow, on our own problems, our own things that debilitate us and make us feel like life is always sorrowful and sad and our problems. And we don't think about the bigger picture of what is it that is happening. What is it that has happened to us in the Annunciation, in the Nativity, in the Resurrection, that God has actually saved us completely from this world? And that even though, as St. Mary did, had, we have to suffer some on this earth, but then afterward we are received into joy. So I want to speak a little bit about our sources of sorrow and our sources of joy. When you look at our sources of sorrow, you can kind of divided up into three main categories. We, we have sorrow over our past, about regretting things that we've done in the past or things that people have done to us in the past, uh, past failures, past mistakes, past sins, uh, and this might lead us into depression or sadness because we always remember the past, things that have happened to us, things we, we don't want to have happened. Also, 
we also struggle in the present. This is a second source of sorrow. We have current problems, problems with our health, problems with our family, problems with our work, a second source of sorrow. A third source of sorrow is that we worry about the future. We wonder about what is to come in the future and we have fear and we're always maybe anticipating what is going to happen next and we stress and we worry and are concerned about what is going to happen in the future. So in all these three categories, if we allow these things to you know, kind of get into our head and, and begin to control us, we will live a life full of misery because we will always be thinking about the past and the present and the future in a negative way, in a way where we are stressed, right? We're regretting about the things that have happened in the past, we're struggling in the things in the present, and we're worrying about the things here in the future. But again, if you look at St. Mary, you know, St. Mary who, again, lived a life that had a lot of stress and a lot of pain in it, and yet she is rejoicing, okay? She is rejoicing. What is the source of her joy? What is the source that she can be joyful and not be going through this same pattern that maybe we all go through, regretting the past, struggling in the present, and worrying about the future? So what are some wrong sources of joy, first of all? Because usually when we are caught up in this cycle of sorrow, for whatever reason, the past, present, or future, we try to find something to hold on to, to bring us some kind of happiness, to, to kind of help us come out of this, Okay. What are some wrong sources of joy? Okay. The prosperity gospel, this idea of the prosperity gospel, which some Christians believe, teaches essentially that when God blesses us and we are believers, that God is going to remove all these sources of pain, and he's going to remove them from us. But we don't see this. We don't see this in the life of you know, very righteous people that lived, and we read about them in Scripture. We don't see this, right? So sometimes we look to this, this idea of the prosperity gospel. Our, our relief from sorrow is we want God to bless us with physical things, okay? We want to have physical possessions, or we want to have relationships, or we want to have a solution to all of our problems, okay? But we don't see this happening. I'm going to read a short passage um, from the book of Jonah. This is after Jonah preaches to the people of Nineveh, and they believe, and he is now waiting to see what is going to happen to the city. Is God going to destroy it, or is God going to save it? And while he is sitting there waiting to see what's going to happen, the sun is beating down on him very strongly, and he is like so upset because the sun is so hot on him. So what is, what is it that happened? It says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Here at the very beginning of this, you see what God is doing something good for Jonah. Right, he's, he's preparing this plant and it's coming up over Jonah and it's giving him shade to deliver him from his misery. And so it says what Jonah was very grateful. Jonah was very grateful for this plant. And sometimes we have things like this in our lives, things that are momentary, things that God blesses us with, things that make us grateful, things that we feel happy about, and things that maybe take our minds away from the stress of the past and the struggle of the, of the present and the worries of the future. And we begin to place our trust in this thing, in this plant that God is offering us as shade over our heads. 
But when inevitably in our life things take a different turn and maybe this plant withers and dies and is not there for us anymore, we fall back again into the same pattern of worry and stress that we were before. And that's because we're placing our trust and we're placing our gratitude not in God but in a physical thing or something that God has given. And because these things that God gives us are not permanent, these things that God gives us in the world are not permanent, Okay, when these things are taken away, we again lose and we feel even more sorrow and pain and suffering. Right? This is a wrong source of joy. These things that God gives us, maybe in the world, maybe a relationship, a person, uh, uh, a financial situation, something. These are good gifts that God gives, but this should not be the source of my joy. The source of my joy is God himself. God himself is the one who will not leave. God himself is the one who will never change. And even though the gifts that God gives might be corrupted eventually, the, the people that God gives us might leave us eventually, the health that God gives us might fail us eventually, the finances that God gives us we might lose eventually. Right? So even though God gives us good things, we shouldn't place our trust in these good things. Right? They're temporary. Right? They're here one day and gone the next day. The only thing that God gives us truly that is unchanging and unwavering is himself, right? Which is why we focus so much on, on him. We focus so much on him because he's the only thing that's actually real. Everything else in the world is eventually going to disappear. The only thing that doesn't disappear is him. So that's one wrong source of joy. Another wrong source of joy is pleasure. Pleasure, trying to seek pleasure. Okay, we read about this from King Solomon. He is a very good authority on pleasure because he lived both as a very wise man and then departed from God and used all the resources that God had given him to indulge in every kind of pleasure imaginable in the world. And then he comes to us and writes this book of Ecclesiastes and he reveals to us what he's learned. Right? Was, this, was all this pleasure that he gained for himself, was it, was it actually as good as we might think that it was, or was there something missing in it? And so what does he say? He says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor on which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. So not only did he say what? That the pleasure that he sought after for himself was not satisfactory or satisfying to him, but even all the accomplishments that he made in his life was not satisfaction, was, no, was not satisfactory to him. Now keep in mind, he, this is the man who built the temple of God. And yet he looks at this and says what? All the labor in which I had toiled, it was all vanity. What does that mean? Does that mean that the building the temple of God was vanity? No. But sometimes we forget the reason why we do things. Sometimes I do things not because it is valuable in and of itself, not because that I'm serving God or I'm serving other people, but simply because I feel a sense of achievement. Simply because I feel like good about myself because I've done something and I fall into pride and say, you know what, I'm the one that built the temple of God. I'm the one that built the church. I'm the one that donated this. I'm the one that did whatever service or whatever it is that I did. And I begin to feel maybe a sense of accomplishment. And people that feel the sense of accomplishment because of a, of a specific thing that they did or begin to identify themselves according to a reputation that they have reached because they have done a certain thing, eventually they're going to be forgotten. You know, it's like celebrities. Celebrities on one day or one year or five years, people know who they are and they look at them and you see them in movies and they're on the news and everyone knows who they are. 
20 years later, nobody even remembers this person. So this person who was, you know, number one, this person who was very famous, this person who everybody looked to, and they defined themselves according to their fame, according to their achievement. Now, 20 years later, when nobody remembers them, what happens? They fall into depression and drugs and alcoholism and all this because they can't, they can't find a, a way to satisfy themselves, right? They can't find a way to reach again to those days that they had before where they mattered to people, where people cared about them, where people knew who they were, okay? So here King Solomon is showing us what pleasure is not the answer. Trying to indulge in pleasure to forget our problems, this is not the answer. Trying to, you know, in, in have a reputation where people praise us, where people recognize us, where we feel like we're accomplishing ourselves, pouring ourselves into our work to try to escape our problems, this also is not the answer. Trusting in the things and the gifts that God gives us, this is also not the answer. Okay, none of these things are the answer. So what should be the sources of joy that we have? Like I said, God is the only source of joy and he is a source of joy again not because of what he gives not because he is like a santa claus that we give we get from him what we want but because of he himself because of he himself meaning if he gives me what i want that's great but if he doesn't give me what i want i still love him i'm still with him he is still a source of joy and comfort for me in psalm 119 verse 162 it says i rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure great treasure where is my treasure. If I say that the word of God is my treasure, then I will always be joyful because the word of God, I always have it. Because I always, every time I meditate on the word of God, every time I hear the promises of God, every time I remember when he said, what eye has not seen nor ear heard, what God has prepared for those who love him. And even though that the heaven is so great and God is preparing it for us, it is so great that we can't even comprehend it. It is so great that we can't even imagine it or visualize it. And that all the stories we hear about saints or people or angels or people that have gone to heaven and come back and talk about it, this, these explanations do not even begin to scratch the surface of what heaven actually is. And so this place, heaven, which we can begin to experience on earth, is the true joy. This is the true joy to be with God and to enjoy His presence. Okay? He has promised us a new life. Okay, but the question is, is, do we seek after this? How much time do we spend seeking after this true joy versus how much time do we spend seeking after false joy and all these other things that maybe we, we, we are distracted by and spend our times seeking after? How do we live in joy? Okay, so I'm going to look at, again, the three aspects. We said the three aspects of sorrow as the past, the present, and the future. Also, the aspects of joy, the past, the present, and the future. Okay, what about the past? Okay, I regret my past, or people have harmed me in the past, and I have a difficult time getting over this. Okay, how do I live in joy? One is I have to confess my past sins. Okay, sometimes people carry with them these secret sins with them for years and years and years, and it kind of drains us, and we feel like we are deceiving others, or we're deceiving ourselves, or we feel maybe we can't take communion, or even when we take communion, we feel guilty. Why? Because I haven't confessed my past sins. But actually, confessing my past sins is easy. You know, sometimes we, we imagine that it's difficult. We're afraid of what is going to happen when I come before my father of confession and I come before God and I say, here are my sins. We think what? That we're going to be cast out and rejected? That's not what's going to happen. In fact, I'm going to, it's going to be the opposite. I'm going to feel that I'm accepted by God because he accepts me despite of what I've done and I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. Okay? Psalm 103 it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. 
He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. So if our issue with the past is that we have a past that's maybe dark, we have a past that we are afraid to reveal, we have a past that we feel God has not forgiven us from. If we've already confessed our sins, then we have to be assured that God has forgiven. And there's nothing that God is 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 you know holding against us for these sins. He's wiped away these sins. If we have not confessed, then it is the time to confess. This will help us to let go of all of this. Okay. Also, if part of the issue that I have with my past is things that other people have done to me in my past, and this is something that is constantly troubling me, then again I should reveal it. If it has not been revealed, I have, if I have not spoken to it, again with someone that I trust, and also I should forgive, I should forgive this person, whoever it is. Even if that person has not asked for forgiveness, I must forgive them, because I am the one who is damaging myself if I do not forgive. St. Augustine, he said something very nice when he speaks about um, the way he regretted his past. St. Augustine lived a life in his youth that was very sinful. And he only came to Christ at an older age. Okay? And this is what he says. He's speaking to God. He's saying, Too late have I loved you, O beauty, so ancient and so new. Too late have I loved you. You were with me, and I was not with you. I was abroad, running after those beauties which you have made. Those things which could have no being but in you have kept me away from you. You have called, you have cried out, and have pierced my deafness. You have enlightened, you have shone forth, and my blindness is dispelled. I have tasted you, and am hungry of you. You have touched me, and I am afire with the desire of your embraces. He's saying, you know what, I regret the way that I lived my life in the past, and yet now I still have hope and faith that I can still have a life with you that I can still enjoy your presence, that I can still grow in you, that you will still accept me. And this is the thing to remember about God, is that there is no sin too big that I have committed that prevents us from returning again to him. And again, we should have hope in the forgiveness of God. God is not going to reject us. Revelations 12 verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The devil is the accuser. The devil is the one who comes to us and he whispers to us and he says, What? You will never be forgiven. Don't even try to repent. God will never forgive you. There is nothing you can do. And you just have to live bearing the burden of the sin the rest of your life. And he's saying what in the end? This accuser of the brethren who is the devil, he will be cast down. He will no longer have his authority to accuse. He is the one who accuses us. God is not the one who accuses. God is the one who forgives. Even though God already knows our sins, he is ready to forgive us for every sin that we repent from. The devil is the one who keeps us from repenting. He is the one who makes us feel that my sin is too great to come to God to be freed from. So our past, we have to confess our past. We have to deal with our past. We can't just leave it lingering and trying to carry this burden with us for the rest of our life. What about the struggles of the present? And the struggles of the present can keep us also from experiencing the joy of God because we feel consumed with the difficulties of our day-to-day -day life and the busyness of life and the pain that we might be experiencing because of different issues in our life. Jeremiah 29:11 he says what for I know the thoughts that I think toward you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. 
right? We have to always remember the hope that we have in God. That God is not intending for us to be living in pain forever. This is not what God wants. God doesn't want us to experience pain. Unfortunately, pain is sometimes the only way we can learn certain lessons. Unfortunately, pain is the only way that can protect us sometimes from certain things. And because of the corrupted world we live in, pain is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. But it is not coming from God. God tries to use it for our benefit. God tries to use it so that we benefit from it and so that it is not in vain. We also have to remember what? That every trial has an end. Every trial has an end. We will not continue to suffer with this trial forever. There will be an end, and we have hope and believe that God can lead us to that end. But there are two kinds of trials. Okay, there's two kinds of trials. There's trials that I caused because of my own wrong choices, and then there's trials that are out of my control, right? Trials that I caused because of my poor choices. If this is a, the, the suffering, if I'm, if I'm experiencing suffering because of my own wrong choice, then one, I need to resolve them to the best of my ability, right? Like if I made a, a wrong choice or a sequence of wrong choices that led me into pain or suffering, me and other people as well, potentially, then I need to try to fix this. I need to try as much as I can to undo it or to resolve it. If I need to reconcile with the people that I've wronged, I need to confess my sin, I need to try to correct it, I need to sacrifice, I need to do whatever it is to try to undo the bad choices that I've made. Now sometimes, again, it might not be possible. There might not be an opportunity for me to, to do that. And again, I go back to what we said before, that we believe that God can forgive us. Right? God can forgive us even when we are the ones that have made the wrong choice. The second point is if the trial is out of my control, Right? someone else or some other circumstance is the reason for my trial, then we have to remember that God allows this for a reason. Right? It is not my fault and God is not punishing me. There, there is a reason why. And we might understand the reason or we might not understand the reason. But like we said before, we turn to God because God is with us. We trust in Him. Sometimes people, the only time in their lives they really turn to God is when they're in a trial, unfortunately. You know? And if we're really honest with ourselves, we might find that this is true. You know, how much more do we pray whenever we're suffering versus when everything is going well, right? So what is it that God wants? Yes, He wants us to enjoy ourselves, but He also wants to be with us. He wants us to stay with Him and not to go astray from Him. That is the true danger. When we go away from God, this is the danger. So if, if being in suffering, even for the rest of our life, is something that is going to keep us close to God in order we can live with God for eternity, then maybe this is what God would choose. Okay, so we have to... We have to even in the moments of this suffering and this difficulty, you try to remember this, this fact that God is allowing this for us to remain with Him. And when we are in that moment of suffering, we turn to God and not away from Him. The last uh, aspect of sorrow that I want to speak about is when we are worrying about the future. Even sometimes when everything is going well in our lives, but we're worried about what might happen. We're worried about who we might meet or who we might not meet. We're worried about where we're going to live. We're worried about what job I'm going to have or where education I'm going to have. We're worried about relationships in the future. We're, we're, we're worried about a lot of things that even though everything might be going very well right now, it keeps us from enjoying the moment. It keeps us from enjoying the good things and the gifts that God has given me because I'm always worried about the future. So even if I don't regret the past and even if I'm not presently struggling with any major issues in my life, but simply because I'm worrying about the future, it saps me of my energy, it drains me of my joy, and I cannot enjoy my life. Okay? Matthew chapter 6, Christ said, So why do, you not, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, 
And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Christ saying, if God cares even about the flowers, if, care, if God cares even about the food that the birds eat, how much more will he care about us and provide for us and give us the things that we need when we need them? Our issue with worrying about the future is that not only do we worry about the future, but also we don't know what's good for us. That's part of the source of our worry, is we assume that we know what's good for us, and we feel that God doesn't know as well as we do. We know better than God. And so we're trying to make things happen according to our understanding of what's best for us, and sometimes we don't think it can happen. Sometimes we think that the direction things are going are not the right direction, according to my own understanding. And so we, we get very worried about this. But if we believe really that God, first of all, knows better than us of what's best for us, and two, he is going to, can and is going to accomplish it for us, then there is no reason to worry. There's no reason. Because if God is in control of it, then we should be more relaxed. Now, this is easier said than done, obviously. Something that we have to train ourselves every day to remind ourselves of God's promises, to remind ourselves of his goodness, to remind ourselves that in the long, in the big picture, God is in control. And even if in the day-to-day kind of moments, we don't sense that. We don't see that. We see the things that keep continue to get worse. We see that things are not going in the direction that we'd like. And yet there is, a, there is a plan. There is a purpose. It's not that God has forgotten about us or abandoned us, but there is a greater purpose to what is happening. And we have to trust and believe that he is still in control. Again, when we worry about the future, it completely makes us forget about all of the good things God has done for us in the past all the good things that God is doing for us now. All we have to do is think about how God has been faithful to me so far in my life. How many good things has God given me? How many problems has God helped me to escape from? And then just remind ourselves that in the future, what, why would that change? God is going to continue to be faithful to me. God is going to continue giving me the things that I need according to his timing, right? And so in that time where we are waiting for these things to happen, we should be investing our time in him. We should be growing in him. We should be reminding ourselves of his promises all the time so that we feel what? That we are comforted in the presence of God. Again, not because of the things. You know, the things might happen the way we want. They might not happen. They might happen at a different time or whatever. It's not about the things that God does. It's about God himself. So in conclusion, again today we are commemorating the Annunciation and we spoke about how St. Mary was rejoicing in her salvation and in the birth of Christ, but even so while she was suffering, while she had many sufferings in her life, she was still rejoicing at the salvation of herself and the world. And we spoke about our sorrow, and our sorrow comes in three forms, regretting the past, struggling in the present, and worrying about the future, and how in all these ways God can help us to grow and to change and to overcome and to trust in him so that we do not have to be living a life of stress, but instead a life of joy with God. And glory be to God forever. Amen.